0: Welcome, everybody, to this edition of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame's Hall Call podcast. I am Will Driscoll, the executive director of the Hall of Fame, and it is my pleasure to bring Hall Call to you wherever you may be listening. Well, spring is right around the corner, which means two things. One, pitchers and catchers are starting to arrive at spring training in Florida and Arizona. And most importantly, though, our 49th annual induction weekend is fast approaching April 24th and 25th here in Virginia Beach. Today, joining us on the Hall Call Podcast is someone you might consider the epitome of a a baseball lifer, as well as a member of the 2020 induction class, Charlottesville native Mike Cubbage. Now, Mike was a three-sport star at Lane High School in Charlottesville, Virginia, a two-sport star at the University of Virginia, and is now entering his 49th season in professional baseball currently serving as a special assistant to general manager of the World Series champion, Washington Nationals. Mike, thanks for joining us today on the Hall Call Podcast.
1: Uh, my pleasure, Will.
0: So first things first, have you had your ring finger sized?
1: I have. As a matter of fact, I think I uh, went up there a couple of Saturdays ago. took my granddaughter my wife went, and they had a three-day event with Jostens at the stadium, and I didn't get up there till the last day, which was Saturday. So, uh, it went pretty fast and I took a size and a half larger than, uh, than my Tampa Bay ring, which was made by a different company. But the girl said right away, you're probably going to go up a little bit in size on this ring.
0: Will you have some new jewelry when you come here in April? Maybe uh, <laughs> they say the players
1: are going to get theirs on April 4th, That's Saturday. It's our second home game, a ring ceremony. And so I anticipate that they will probably mail ours out or if we're in the area. It's- Certainly, stop by and pick it up. So, hopefully, I'll have it by the end of April.
0: Oh, very nice. That'd be a nice little addition to the weekend. You know, it was a, it was so much fun watching that run last year for numerous reasons. One, from a baseball standpoint, but two, just the amount of Virginia connections on that team. Obviously, with Ryan Zimmerman and Daniel Hudson, and then even Sean Doolittle from UVA. How special was it being a part of that team, particularly coming off the off season of losing what many looked at as the face of the franchise, Bryce Harper.
1: Yeah, it was a great year. Uh, the way the club turned it around after the slow start back in May, and I think we were twelve games under five hundred. And uh, not only did we get back to five hundred, uh, we went, went on to win ninety some games. And so it really was a historical run. And then the way we won the World Series, uh, beating uh, heavily favored teams, we were the underdog and almost every series. So yeah, it was exciting. And I got to be a part of it. I scouted the, uh, the Milwaukee Brewers for the wild card game, but, but I, I was in DC for the rest of the home games. Uh, we didn't win any world series home games, but in the end that didn't matter.
0: That is true. You won all the games on the road, and and obviously it's been a bit of a tumultuous offseason for Major League Baseball. Interesting, I guess, uh, what a lot of people would say. But, uh, yeah, you guys won all four of those games in Houston, obviously, and uh, it was just a great way to, to end the season, and, and we've been happy to, to follow it along. And we're happy to see that Ryan and Daniel have also both re-signed, so they'll both be back there this year. Well, from your perspective, though, Take us back to Charlottesville. Growing up in Charlottesville, you obviously played baseball, but you were also a quarterback and you were also a pretty good basketball player in your own right. You actually teamed up with a former, uh, with with a, a current Virginia Sports Hall of Fame inductee, Frankie Allen, on the basketball team. What memories does that time in your life conjure up?
1: Oh, I have great memories from high school and I had a great childhood playing all three sports in Charlottesville and the lane high school days were special We had the high school football winning streak of 53 games and to play in all those big games with, with pressure, always playing for championships and playing to keep that streak alive was really special. I love basketball. I actually saw Chip Connor, my old basketball coach last weekend at Gene Corrigan's funeral. And it was great to see Chip. I loved playing for Chip because he'd been my favorite player when I was a young kid watching Virginia basketball at Mem Gym on campus. And Frankie, what a great player he was. And the two years Chip was there were Frankie's junior and senior year, my sophomore, junior year. And, you know, I started those two years, and we went 20-4 and four both years and went all the way to the state semifinals. So it was a lot of fun.
0: Now, you get to UVA, and I guess your claim to fame at UVA is that you were the first full scholarship baseball player in their program's history, but you were also named the starting quarterback, I believe, in your sophomore year, or maybe it was after your sophomore year. Had you planned to continue playing both sports, or was there one that you really wanted to focus on, but it just so happened that you were playing both of them in college?
1: Well, baseball was my first love, and I kind of asked and and, uh, demanded a a baseball scholarship. (laughs) I'll tell you a little little, uh, secret. It was a, a football grant made. They, they taped over football and, and, and put baseball you know, above it. So we know where the money came from because in those days, the Virginia baseball program didn't have any scholarships. So they made an, ex- an exception for me there, but yeah, I had a pretty good first year playing uh, at Virginia, uh, freshman football because, uh, freshmen weren't eligible for varsity in those days. And we uh, we had a good year. I played a lot. Then my sophomore year, I was a backup early in the year. And midseason, I started sharing time with Danny Fazio, the starting quarterback, who I think was a fifth-year senior. And then I was named the starting quarterback the seventh game of the year and ended up dislocating my elbow that game. And that was it for me in college football.
0: It's probably the right decision considering have you spent almost a half a century playing uh, in professional baseball since then. Um, You know, you got drafted in 1971 and you ended up playing parts of eight seasons in major league baseball. But I think the stat that sticks out to me the most is your first hit in major league baseball was a grand slam. And your last hit in major league baseball was a home run off of Jeff Reardon, I believe. And, have you come across anybody else? Because I've been scouring the internet trying to find this. Have you come across anybody else who can say that their first and last hits in Major League Baseball were both home runs?
1: I haven't. <laughs> maybe and that's I a project know. we can work I, I on know, together. I know there's guys that their first hit was a Grand Slam home run. And or maybe their first at bat. The, th- the thing with me was that was my 18th at bat. I went 0 for 15 in 1974. 0 for five, three different parts of the season. It was kind of embarrassing to go home without a batting average. <laughs> but I really didn't get a lot of playing opportunity in 1974. I think that was two starts in those 15 at bats, and the rest of them were a pinch hit at bats. And the rest of the time, I was playing Triple A baseball in Spokane, Washington, and had a really good season. So when I came back the next year and uh, finally got called up in June, I was ready to get that first hit. And it came at my first start in, uh, in Anaheim. And I got it off of uh, a good friend of mine, a pitcher named Bill Singer. We later became teammates in Texas and got traded together to the Minnesota twins in the Burt Glylevin deal.
0: Now you played for, as I mentioned, parts of eight seasons. Uh, And regardless of how long you thought your career was going to last uh, playing career, was there a point in time where you, you knew that baseball was just something that you really wanted to stay in post playing days. And I don't know if you can ever envision spending 49 seasons in professional baseball, but was there a point in time where you knew that you just wanted to be a baseball guy?
1: Well, I've been a baseball guy all my life, but no. And the case with me is, is I think with the majority of players, we don't really pick our retirement date. Uh, (laughs) You know, the superstars get to announce their retirement. Everybody else just gets that uh, tap on the shoulder and and you get called into the manager's office. But I had some back injuries towards the end of my career. And I actually played my last season in tidewater with the tides and had an opportunity to to go back there again and and play and, and have the chance of getting back to the major leagues. But Frank Cashin with the New York Mets also uh, offered me a chance to start a a managerial career and offered me a a chance to manage in the New York Penn League. And I decided to take that and close that chapter, that playing chapter and move on. And it took me, it didn't take long to, that really got, I got a fever for that new job and and really loved it and knew that's what I wanted to do.
0: You just kind of led us into our our next question, but following your career, your playing career, you ended up, Working in the Mets organization for quite some time. It, it, and it really all levels Class A, Double A, and then you mentioned Triple A here with the, 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 the now Norfolk tides, but then the Tidewater tides. What was the biggest adjustment going from playing to coaching?
1: I, I really thought I handled the transition pretty easily. Um, Standing games, I guess. My first year, I got thrown out seven times, I think, and, <laughs> and my pitching coach, Charlie Green was the only staff guy I had up in, in Little Falls, New York, told me I had to calm down a little bit, and I did. Uh, I knew I had to cut that back. But I really enjoyed it, I, and I had great players. And And the nice thing was seven years of minor league manager, five of those years were in the state of Virginia, and two years over in Lynchburg with the Mets, and we had really good teams over there. And then the last three years with the Tides and Dave Rosenfield, and those teams were strong, also.
0: Yeah, you, you mentioned Dave. Dave is a, another Virginia Sports Hall of Fame inductee, and and those Tides teams in the late '80s were uh, were very good. And and really, that that partnership with the Mets lasted for for quite some time, even when they moved to the new stadium here in Norfolk. And you've also been inducted into the Tidewater Baseball Shrine as a result of the work that you've done. You know, playing with some all the players that you played with. You also got to play under some great managers during your eight-year career. You know Gene Mock, Billy Martin, Joe Torrey, just to name a few. Who was your biggest baseball influence? It doesn't have to be one of them, but over the course of your time, who has been your biggest baseball influence?
1: Well, no doubt it was Gene Mock. Gene Mock was the most brilliant baseball mind I've ever known in my 50 years in the game. talking about a man wearing a uniform he was a sharp guy and that that's not only my opinion it's also the opinion of don sutton i talk to don sutton about him all the time and bob boone who works for us uh reggie jackson rod crew a lot of a lot of people have played for gene mock admired admired him he's got the knack of uh you know he never won the big one never never won a championship uh, but another guy that was a big fan of, of Gene and actually Gene was his mentor was Tony La Russa. And La Russa would say the same thing that Gene was the smartest baseball guy. He knew the game inside and out. He knew the rule book, but the thing that Gene mocked for me, he was a master psychologist and I loved his clubhouse meetings. I loved the one-on-one conversations with him. He was so sharp. His, uh, he collected his thoughts. I think the, the, the media really liked Gene, too, because he didn't give them just a standard line. He was always a great interviewer because he always thought about what he was going to say and man, uh, a few words, but impactful words.
0: From your time coaching and now your time as a scout, uh, special assistant to the GM, how much are you interacting with players and how much are you actually taking some of those lessons that you learned from guys like Gene Mock into your day-to-day now?
1: I used them when I was in uniform, and I used them a great deal, uh, the things I learned from Gene. Uh, Gene made me feel better about myself as a player than, than anyone else, and I always thought that was my responsibility as a manager or as a coach to keep those players' confidence up. Uh, they make a lot of money, but it's a, it's a tough job. It's a lot of pressure in baseball, and when those guys are down or when they're struggling, that's when they need – a coach to to pick them up and I thought I was always there to do that and by doing that I think you get the most out of your players and when I look back I was satisfied with my career as a manager and as a coach because I thought I helped players get better and I thought I got the most out of my teams
0: you you mentioned working with the players you know you pretty much held every single on-field position uh, in major league baseball, whether it's first base coach, bench coach, third base coach, even interim manager, uh, through some of your, your 14 years in major league baseball dugouts. Uh, what, what was the thing that you took away most? Like what's probably your most cherished memory from those times in major league baseball?
1: Wow. There's so many of them. Uh, my last game was Game 7 of the uh, 2003 American League Championship Series, my last game on the field, and that was the Aaron Boone home run.
0: As a Red Sox fan, I remember it well.
1: Yeah, and but I was a Red Sox third base coach. <laughs> and so I walked up the tunnel out of the Yankee Stadium dugout right behind Greg Little, and not knowing it was going to be my last game with the Red Sox or my last game as a coach. But that's the way it turned out. The funny thing was Larry Lachino had Leo Epstein both wanted me to return, even though Grady had gotten fired because they were satisfied with the job I did. And they know that, you know, coaching third base in Boston is a, is a challenging spot and they liked the experience I had over there, but it didn't work out with uh, Terry Francona, but uh, to be a part of the Yankee Red Sox rivalry, those last two years as a coach, it was so memorable. Every game was sold out. Uh, the regular season games, whether they were in Boston or New York, and it was like a college football crowd. And then that, and then to play that championship series, and the way it, the way they had been tied of the series, and the way it went seven games, and we we should have won. We had a better team.
0: Well, let's but, talk about uh, that series for just a second, because it, it's rare. You you hear in all sports, oh, this is a great rivalry. This is a great rivalry. But how often are the two teams on on each side of that rivalry playing at the peak of their powers? I I firmly believe in O two and O three, and then even into O four that was as good as the Red Sox and Yankees could be. And there just all, also seemed to be a genuine dislike of each other. Obviously, that can be driven by the fans, but we saw what Pedro Martinez did during that American League Championship Series. So talk about just being a part of that when both of those teams were at their peaks.
1: Oh, they were good. I mean, <laughs> uh, you look back, we, we told the front office that we needed another pitcher. and We actually started John Burkett who had an awful record against the Yankees in game six, and he got blasted knocked out early, but we managed to come back and win the game. I think we beat Pettit in game six, and then Clemens started game seven. So you're talking about the great players involved, and and we at Clemens, we knocked him out of the game and had him on the ropes and had a chance to put the game away. And then they bring in another Hall of Fame pitcher by the name of Mike Messina, who uh, got out of a bases-loaded no-out jam. And then of course you know at the end of the game uh, Mariano went what three innings. And the the odd thing was Boone didn't start the game. And because he was struggling and but he ended up in that game and he let off the I guess it was the 11th inning. Yep. And, and we talked about taking the bunt away from him because no one was was hitting. Neither team was uh, was getting anybody on base and and Aaron Boone could bunt for a base hit. And we didn't do that, but uh, first pitch was not a bun; it was a it was a home run, and uh, he went into Yankee history. And is probably the Yankee manager now because of that home run. Or I don't know if he would have uh, been the Yankee manager if he hadn't hit that home run. <laughs>
0: It's amazing how cruel uh, the game of baseball can be because before that pitch everybody was talking that if the Red Sox had won Tim Wakefield would most likely have been the ALCS MVP cuz he pitched two great games but then he gives up the home run to Boone and and obviously the Yankees win and they get the they they get the ALCS MVP but following your your coaching career you've now moved into this scouting world and this assistant to the GM world um where 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 is your source of uh, I guess pride and value. What do you, what makes you happy uh, in this type of role? Like where do you get your sense of enjoyment for baseball doing this?
1: Well, it keeps me in the game and I love the competition. I like being a part of a team and, and face it, I'm, I'm a tiny little part now, but because we have a huge staff and we've got the analytical guys and we have 10 or 12 professional scouts that work for Mike Rizzo. And then there's the amateur guys. And then there's Johnny DePuglia uh, signing all the Latin stars as the international director. So it's it's a big team. But to be a part of that team and be uh, in on decisions, I mean, I have about 3,000 scouting reports in our Pentagon system now that they can use uh, whenever they want to check on a player and they want to find my opinion. So it's I love being a part of the team, and I also – loved the uh, the challenge of trying to trying to win, and that's why I when I left Tampa Bay, I only made one phone call and it was to uh, Bill Singer who was working for Mike Rizzo at the time and and uh, I told uh, I told Bill that I was thinking about leaving Tampa Bay even though I had a a contract on the table there and uh, had my eyes on Washington. My grandkids live in uh, in McLean. And I thought it would just be a good place to go because I knew they were competitive. I knew Mike Rizzo was a a baseball man, a former scout himself. And I thought it would be a good place to land and finish my career. And boy, I was right.
0: (laughs) I think you could say that again. Again, uh, Mike Cubbage, the special assistant to the GM, Mike Rizzo for the Washington Nationals and a member of the 2020 Class for the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, It it was a a real pleasure to make that call to you. Um, Just talk about kind of what the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame means to you.
1: Well, it's you made that call about a week after the World Series, (laughs) if I uh, if I remember correctly. So, uh, 2019 was was turned out to be a great year. I also went into the Virginia, the Shenandoah Valley Baseball Hall of Fame back in uh, July over in Harrisonburg. So it was a great year, but what a special, uh, honor this is. I know I've had a lot of fans and, and some friends in my area in Richmond and, and at the beach, uh, my, my old buddy, Hank foils, uh, Rosie, before he passed, a lot of people have been campaigning and trying to get me in the hall of fame for years. And so I'm real happy for all those people and, and my fans, uh, and it's a great honor. It really is. I mean, coming from the state of Virginia and, and being a huge fan like myself of, of uh, sports, a uh, Virginia fan especially, uh, knowing and competing against a lot of the people in there. Frankie was a teammate. Barty Smith was on that team that snapped our Lane football winning streak. And I know Gene Alley and Mel Roach and, and uh, Chuck Boone. And so it's it's great to be joining all those people.
0: You're just going through the Rolodex of a lot of our inductees, and I know that we'll we'll see you, and then we'll also see a few of them uh, during our induction weekend, April 24th and 25th, uh, here in Virginia Beach. Uh, Mike, really appreciate you taking the time today, and, and we'll see you in a couple months.
1: Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm looking forward to it.
0: Well, that is going to do it for this edition of the Hall Call Podcast. I'd like to thank my guest and Virginia Sports Hall of Fame Class of 2020 member Mike Cubbage for joining us today as we continue to look ahead to our 49th annual Induction Weekend again, April 24th and 25th here in Virginia Beach. You can come out and meet Mike and the rest of the 2020 class at our Induction Weekend events. For more information, visit our website, www.vasportshof.com. As always, if you like what you heard, please follow and like us on SoundCloud. And again, recently, we have now been added to Spotify. So you can also find the most up-to-date and archived episodes there, as well as on our website. And don't forget to follow us on social media for the latest episodes. Our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram handles are all at h o f. I'd like to thank ESPN Radio 94.1 and our executive producer, Thomas Simmons, for their support. I am Will Driscoll, and thank you for listening to this edition of the Hall Call Podcast.